Welcome back to Mariner's Pod. Thanks for being here once again. A fun one in store today. We talk about the final two games of the Angels series. Get ready for the Oakland A's series. That starts tonight. And then a wide-ranging conversation with Texas Rangers broadcaster Jared Sandler that I think you'll enjoy. First things first, when we last left, a, the Mariners had won the first game of the series against the Angels. A game where Castillo pitched. It was Castillo Otani. The Mariners ended up winning six to two. The final score. It was just chaos in the ninth inning. It's funny. The game two of the series with Ray on the mound. It was pretty similar in that it was another tight ball game. In fact, Jose Suarez was perfect through five. The starter for the Angels. Meanwhile, Robbie Ray was excellent, and really, it came down to Mariners pitchers. They were great. One ball, two strikes, one out. Tying run at second. Here comes the pitch. Strike three called. He froze him. He went fastball, sizzled it right over the edge. All Walsh could do was stare. Strikeout number 10, Robbie Ray in double digits with a picture-perfect pitch right over the corner. Munoz, here comes his pitch. Swing and a miss. A slider at 92, dripping with filth. As Ranjifo cuts through, no chance. Munoz strikes out the side, and the Angels are done in the seventh. And then, just like the first game, the Mariners would take the lead in the sixth inning, 3-2. to two. It's a one-run game going into the ninth, and again, the Mariners run wild in the ninth, a five-spot in the frame. They win game two, 8-2, to two. and then game three, Mariners just pummeling the baseball. Here's the next off for the way, swinging a high drive into the gap in right center field. Sierra going back to the one track, looking up, and goodbye baseball. Hey, Eugenio Suarez with his 20th home run of the season. Here's the 3-2 pitch to him. And Myers still swung on deep drive, right field. That baby's hit hard. It's hit deep, and it's gone. That's a home run off the advertisement out there, a two-run shot. By Jesse Winker takes the Mariner lead to nine to three. JP's going to take off with two outs. There he goes, three two. Belted to deep right field. Cal Raleigh, do you have another one? Yes, you do. Way out of here to right field. Holy smokes! A moonshot off the bat of Cal Raleigh. His second home run of the day. Ended up being an eleven to two win in Game Three of the series. The Mariners break out the brooms. They get the sweep, 11-7, the final score in Game 3 of the series, which sets the table now for the M's taking on the A's. We'll talk about that in just a second. Mariners were off, but they keep the top spot. They're one game up on Tampa Bay and the Blue Jays, both tied at 63-54. and 54. So both one game back, tied for the two and three spots. Minnesota, a game and a half back of both Toronto and Tampa Bay. Baltimore two and a half back. White Sox, after really playing some great baseball, they've lost two in a row now. They are three back in Boston now, five games back of the third wild card spot. So things still awfully tight as the Mariners get set to play Oakland, Tampa Bay, and Kansas City. Blue Jays continue their series at New York. Minnesota will play Texas. Baltimore will be against Boston. And the White Sox will be at Cleveland. So that's a really big series as well as that continues. Mariners will take on the A's first of three starting tonight. 6.40 first pitch. Marco Gonzalez will get the ball against the A's. 
4.15, an odd start for Saturday. Logan Gilbert will go. And then Sunday, 107, Luis Castillo will go against the Oakland A's in the finale of that series. Another off day coming up on Monday. Then the Mariners return home. Two against Washington, four against Cleveland. It's going to be Ichiro weekend. Cleveland, it's going to be a monster series. So we'll talk about that more as we get a little bit closer. In the meantime, uh, this is going to be a really fun conversation. At least I, I hope you think it is. Jared Sandler, who is a broadcaster for the Texas Rangers, and we get into quite a bit, especially with all the news uh, from Texas the last couple of days. So we'll talk about where the Rangers are, uh, what the expectations are for the offseason. I think you'll like to get his thoughts on what he's seen from the Mariners this year. Clearly, Rangers have seen the Mariners a ton. So his thoughts on the Mariners and where they fit into the playoff chase and uh, this is not an interview this is a conversation we're just going back and forth in this thing so we touch on a lot of different topics and i think you'll have fun with it jared sandler one of my absolute favorites in the game so it's always fun to catch up and we started the conversation with where do the rangers go from here i think much like adding or developing a foundation from the position player standpoint was clearly the emphasis last year uh, pitching will be the emphasis this year now last year it was done in free agency mm-hmm. you know I don't know that the caliber of starting pitcher will be available in free agency at least the, the depth of options like there were for position players especially now that Joe Musgrove has signed an extension I think the Rangers would have really targeted him uh, Jacob deGrom's kind of a wild card he's obviously you know a, an absolutely otherworldly talent, but what's the health situation? But yeah, they, they've got to they've got to add to the rotation. They've also got to add to the bullpen, but you can do that a little bit more easily than you can the rotation. Uh, and I think that's going to be the big point of emphasis. This was all kind of by design that you know you, you develop the position players first or, or build a foundation and then address the pitching. So while it hasn't looked pretty at times this year, they want to total of 60 games last year and so they weren't going to make a 30 game improvement in one off season and so I think it's also timing like if you consider the free agent class last year had it been a a bunch of pitchers then maybe they would have gone that route but it was all these position players specifically infielders and it matched up perfectly with what the Rangers needs were so They've got work to do on the mound, both in the rotation and the bullpen. They also have stuff, you know, in in the system coming up. But if you do want to compete for a playoff spot, which is their plan next year, uh, it's tough to look at a rotation and say two of our five spots are going to be locked down by two guys who have never pitched in the majors. And, you know, you'd rather ease those guys in and uh, give them a little bit of a runway before they're asked to make those types of contributions. Outside of the obvious, Seager and Simeon, who are some of the other guys that you look at right now on this Rangers team that you think will be a backbone of whenever the Rangers are in the playoffs next? Maybe next year, maybe the year after, maybe three years from now. I think Leody Tavares, especially now in, in the modern conversation where we can measure defense. Mm. And because we can measure defense, it's a lot easier to recognize a guy's value in that way. I don't foresee the Rangers moving Leody Tavares, although I would tell you that other than Seager and Simeon, any guy of value who could bring back a starting pitcher of top-end value could be moved. 
but I think the bar for Leoti to be considered a big con- big time contributor overall mm-hmm. does not include a high offensive bar because the defensive production is going to be special. Uh, Adolis Garcia, same type of guy. I I don't know that he's going to hit third or fourth, you know, in a in one of those lineups, but. He's someone that can impact the game in the outfield, on the bases, and in the box. But, you know, he doesn't get on base at a high level. And uh, the Rangers have a ton of infield prospects coming up. Some mm. of them are going to be traded. That's just how it's going to play out. Uh, only one can play third. Uh, we know who's going to play short and second because those guys are locked in and, yeah. and Seeger and Simeon. And then you got an open spot at first. So unless they're just going to say, hey, we're going to keep one of these guys and trade the rest, there's a chance some of those guys end up moving to, say, the outfield. And so that could put the Rangers in a position to move some of their outfielders. So while I say Leody and, and Adolis Garcia is a, you know, a name that people know, they need pitching, and you got to pay to play. And so if they do want to be you know, in the market for some of these top-end pitchers who could be traded, they're not just going to be able to do the whole – like, I'm new at fantasy football thing. I'm going to take, like, my five least valuable players <laughs> yes. and hope that you find value in that quantity. So, to me, the guy who I think has the ceiling to be special is Laoti. The guy who's more of a wild card who I think has the ceiling to be special is Ezekiel Duran. Mm. But he's still got to, you know, make some some progress with his approach to the plate. But I think he he's the wild card in that conversation. It's interesting since moving to this park, we know the old building was a hitter's haven. In building the Rangers, is it different now playing in this park? I think it's different in that I don't think they're going to have as much of a difficulty convincing pitchers to be here or to stay here. And and I, Gary, I don't know what was more of a turnoff to pitchers. Was it the fact that there'd be some nights in the summer where you could pop a ball up and it would you know be midway up the you know, the, the first deck in right field, or is it just the heat and how that wears on you? Mm. Because I think if I'm a pitcher, the heat element to it, I mean, that that's going to impact me no matter where I'm pitching because it wears you down over the course of the year, and I think it wears the team down. Uh, but I think the roof and, yeah, the different dimensions and the way the ball carries, I mean, you know, this is probably a middle-of-the-road park from a, you know, is it favor the mm. offense or the defense, the pitching uh, home run wise, I mean, I think this is top half of the league in terms of home run frequency, but it's just way more comfortable of an environment. So I don't think you're going to have to sell uh, or, or try to mask certain things when you're selling your organization to various pitching. So pitchers, so I think there's still fundamentally, it's not like Colorado where they got to you know, focus on guys who get the ball on the ground or they can't throw a certain pitch or this or that. I just think it's, it's going to open doors for them that were not open previously. Who are a couple of the guys that we have not seen yet in a Rangers uniform that you think projecting forward could be a big part of the Rangers' future? I hope Jack Leiter yeah. uh, and then Kamar Rocker, who was just drafted but is not too far behind, I'd imagine. And they could be big parts in the future in terms of a trade as well. I mean, it, it's I know that the Rangers invested a second overall pick in Leiter and a third in Rocker, but again, I, I don't know that if you're trying to get established pitching it's just tough to come by but yeah I mean those are two names people are familiar with I I think a guy who is having a rough year in the minors and I think we would have thought would be pitching big league games at this point this year but but isn't because he's had a rough year as Cole Wynn uh but he's young I mean he's a young triple a pitcher I I think growing pains are to be expected uh a guy who doesn't get nearly as much publicity on the mound is a, a guy named Owen White if I'm going back like hey let's 
three years from now, who's a name, a guy in the system who three years from now could be uh, giving teams fits? There are two names. One is Luis Angel Acuna, who's Ronald Acuna's junior's brother, uh, who is a young infielder. And then the other is a kid named Evan Carter, who the Rangers drafted in that 2020 draft. Uh, and there was all sorts of unfamiliarity because he lost his high school season and he was from a small town in Tennessee. Uh, He didn't play in like the perfect game circuit. So these ranking systems didn't like, I think someone, he wasn't even in the top 500, but he was a third round pick. And so because it's all we have, people look at rankings like they're gospel. And like, I can't believe the Rangers drafted this guy, not even in the top 500 and they took him in the top 100. But like, they obviously saw things that were special and, I think other teams are on him too, but he's a kid who uh, center fielder, like he had, I think we throw around five tool player Mm -hmm. labels too often. He's got the ability to become that, uh, but he's still like Acuna. They're still two, three years away. The 2020 draft. I feel like when we look back on it five years from now, we're going to see some big misses (laughs) and some big hits later on in that draft because it was such a wild card just up and down because of some of the reasons you just mentioned. Well, like the baseball draft is so unique because you are drafting junior college kids. You are drafting, yes, your your traditional four-year university kids. But the high school kid in any draft is going to be a wild card. I mean, we saw that worked in like the NBA when they still could draft high schoolers. You know, there were success stories and then there were tales of caution. Uh, But the baseball draft, like the high school thing is such a – that's such a you know like the whole I, thing seems impossible. Yeah, and and then to to now have to draft a kid like think of how much you change from like your junior to senior year in high school. Yeah. So Mariners and Rangers have seen each other a lot here recently. What are your thoughts on the Mariners? Yeah. So it's funny. I, I we were talking about this a few minutes ago uh, before we started recording, and I was telling you I was pro Mariners early in the year when the Mariners got off to a slow start. I always get bugged by the fact that people think that what happened last year could influence this year. Mm-hmm. Like the mm-hmm. one run wins and that's a, yeah. If you roll out the exact same team and the players do not improve or regret, you know, whatever, then sure, that's fine. But that's, that's not the case here. I mean, you're yeah. adding Julio Rodriguez. He was not a part of this last year. I mean, you're not running out. I guess you did at some point, but Jared Kelnick isn't getting, you know, run. Th- it's just like a different vibe, right? Mm-hmm. Different. Uh, you don't have Mitch Haniger as healthy this year as he was last year, but you also now have George Kirby and Logan Gilbert. And it's just so the, the, the year to year thing always kind of rubs me the wrong way when people make these blanket assumptions. I just remember looking at the Mariners roster when you guys came to town in, in April or May or whenever, but we're struggling and the Rangers at the time had a better record thinking this Mariners team's way better than the Rangers on, on paper. Now, that doesn't always mean it's going to translate, and I definitely did not foresee a 14-game winning streak. I mean, I remember saying, as you guys won games leading into that four-game series against us prior to the All-Star break, I want the, I said on air, I want the Mariners to keep winning because someone's going to beat them, and I'd rather their streak end against us, not, and then, sure enough, go and win all four. <laughs> but uh, I, I think the lineup is athletic, and... Uh, Julio Rodriguez is obviously special and there's no denying and I'm sure you guys have talked about this as he had some immediate growing pains and and broke out of that uh, and became the first of all these young stars Mm -hmm. who broke camp with their respective teams to really start to establish himself that this lineup became way tougher I mean Ty France is 
you know, glad he was an all-star eventually. He deserved it. It shouldn't have taken that long for him to get that recognition uh, this year. But I think what impresses me the most, Gary, is the bullpen and the willingness for those guys. And you you can explain the dynamics better than I can personality-wise. But it's it's so easy for us to say that, hey, you guys are all going to get high leverage outs and we're going to, you know, we're going to, you know, share the food at the table here, but it just rarely plays out that way. Uh, and it seems like based on the way Scott service deploys his bullpen against us. And when I watch the Mariners just outside of Rangers games, you never know who's going to get the outs in the seventh, eighth or ninth innings. And the fact that they all can get outs in the ninth, because I do believe there are certain guys who have a mental block in the ninth. The fact they all can do it is great. The fact that they're all willing to not only pitch in the ninth is huge. And what stands out to me is you follow the money, right? Yeah. In, in the past, and I still think it happens, but if you get 40 saves, you're going to get paid differently than someone who has your exact stat line with two saves because we value closers. Mm-hmm. And that's always been a reason why managers have been hesitant to take their closer and have them face three, four, and five in the eighth inning as opposed to leaving them to face six, seven, and eight in the ninth inning. Because they want the save. That's how they're going to yeah. get paid. None of these guys are pitching on big-time contracts to where they're like, yeah, no, I've got my money. Not that they're not getting compensated. Mm-hmm. But whether it's Scott Service or Jerry Depoto or whomever, whoever's convinced these guys that, hey, you're going to get compensated because at the end of the day, you're getting high-leverage outs. And for all of them to be willing to pitch in different roles, to me, that is so incredibly vital and Maybe I'm overstating it. I got to believe that's a big part of the success here, especially as things have taken off. I think it's a huge part of this success. And you bring up a really great point because it's the optimal way, I think, to run a bullpen. But you're managing people, right? Yeah. And so for for the reasons you point out, it's not the easiest thing to do. And also, realistically, too, you got to have some depth because you got to have the pitchers that are able to do it. Unfortunately, they have that. But, yeah, I think you're absolutely right. Well, I want to ask you. So the Rangers couldn't do this right now yeah. because they don't, they don't have that depth. They don't yeah. have all these options who they can mix and match. So I'm trying to think of the guy. So you got Swanson. I, I, my interactions with Swanson were during the pandemic, and he talked about fishing in Alaska. Yeah, sounds about right. Paul yeah. Seawald seems like a, a great guy, great like guy. not an ego, but what do I know? Yeah. Don't know Diego Castillo. I, uh, who am I? Who am I forgetting here? Uh, Munoz. Oh, Andres Munoz. Don't yeah. know. Like, so I don't know these guys. You're around them. Like, why does it work from like a human standpoint? Like, what what is it? How have they gotten these guys to all be willing to pitch in different roles and not be these like rigid creatures of habit? I've got to get the seventh inning, or I've got to get the you know the way that we kind of at least I grew up like that was the way it worked. You know, it's interesting. It feels like at this point a culture has been established in that way, and it started last season where they had a bunch of guys, and Paul Seawald is a great example of this, who, you know, his his time with the Mets had a lot of ups and downs, and he came here, and there were a lot of guys like Paul Seawald that were given a second chance, really. And here he is pitching in high leverage situations, not only have his success, but thriving at the major league level. And there were a lot of pitchers like him in the bullpen, Swanson, another example, where, hey, they were thrilled to be in the big leagues first. Second, hey, we're getting high leverage. And it really didn't matter where they were pitching. And so during the course of the season last year, it was just kind of the culture was established. Then you turn the page to this year, some of those guys are still there. And then you add to that mix as well. The one guy that 
I find especially impressive in this regard is Diego Castillo, who's actually had done this somewhere else. You know, Tampa Bay, he was, you know, they did a little of that. It's Tampa Bay, obviously. But Diego Castillo has closed World Series games, right? For someone to look around and be like, yeah, I'm, I'm in. I'm doing, I'm doing what we do. I think that's really impressive, too. I, I, I think it's just over time, a lot of good dudes, which helps. Mm-hmm. Uh, they're together as a group. And I think the culture was established last year. When people say that anyone can manage, it's just managed off of a computer and whatnot. Yeah. Like that's that's the stuff that there, there's so much more beyond just that. But like that's that's a big part of it. And you know, again, whether it's Scott Service or someone else who's who's developing that culture, and and he's obviously a part of that. Like that that's where you can really separate yourself as a manager is the ability to uh, establish something like that. And, and it can be demonstrated or carried out in a number of ways. And then there's obviously the stuff that we never see or hear about. It's all behind closed doors and it never gets out and the conflicts that they deal with and the emotions mm-hmm. and the personalities. But like, yeah, that, that right there to me is like when people ask, well, what does the manager do? Like yeah. I, if someone asked me right now, I'd say, Hey, look at the Mariners and look at what they're doing there. That's 100%. Because I feel like the outside world, when we talk about a manager, we talk about the lineup card or you know, someone coming into the pitching the six, you know, that kind of thing. But I think the most important role for a manager is managing people. Yeah. And you think about just a 26-man roster, all the different parts of the world players come from, all the different experiences they have, and you're trying to get this entire group with all kinds of different backgrounds to pull in the same direction. And some of them, you know, not playing as much as they would like. Some of them maybe not pitching as much or the role. You know, there's all those human elements going on. And yet, as a manager, you've got to make it all work. So that that's what, when I think of what a manager does, I think that is the most important thing, managing people. Can I ask you about Paul Seawald quickly? Yeah. So the Rangers had Peter Fairbanks, who now pitches for Tampa Bay, and, and he – earned the nickname coming up through the system is Pete from accounting because he was just this like yes. random guy uh-huh. and you know it ends up throwing 100 miles an hour when I look at Paul Seawald I think of the guy like when my internet's out someone is going to come to my house and try and fix the internet but they're not going to be able to do it and I'm more patient my wife not as patient my wife's going to get frustrated and she's going to mm-hmm. drop the I'd like to speak to your supervisor and we get passed on to the trained supervisor who is so great at damage control and making you feel like, you know what? I was so upset, but I feel great about this now. Like, I am going to continue to use fill-in-the-blank service. Paul Seawald's the guy that helps make it right. Like, he's yeah. just, he's got this, like, friendly face, and he seems like a really nice guy. So that's who I think of. Like, when I look at Paul Seawald, I think this IT supervisor guy also just gets all-star hitters out. So I'm glad you brought this up. The other day we were on the road somewhere and I was just walking through the grocery store and there's Paul Seawald, grocery store. Hey, Paul, you know, he's, he's in, I don't even know what he was looking at and he's just walking around and amongst all these people and I'm looking around and it's just Seawald and no one, no one knows. Yeah. No, no one way knows you would it's look Paul at Seawald yeah. right there. And I'm looking at him and I'm like, if any of you are going to the game tonight, you don't know this, but he is going to shove against your team tonight. That's the beauty of it. It's just Paul Seawald. And then uh, he's very – he's got some great celebrations after he gets a, yeah. gets a save as well. He's remarkable because you think about it, just like a, a traditional closer who pitches the ninth inning right, it's 
It's random luck of the draw. Sometimes they draw the middle of the order. Sometimes they got a three-run lead, and they're pitching to 7-8-9, right? It's just, it's just luck of the draw. Meanwhile, every time Paul Seawald comes in, and it may be the seventh, maybe the eighth, maybe the ninth, he is going up against dudes from the other team. He is facing the best they have to offer. And so when I think about Paul Seawald and you look at his, his numbers during the course of the year, the thing to keep in mind is he is always pitching against the best the other team has to offer. He doesn't get the, oh, yeah, you're going to get 7, 8, 9 in a random order, right? He is always going against the toughest outs in the lineup. Now, Munoz has taken some of that burden, too, especially as of late. But that's the most impressive thing about Paul Sewell. And he then fixes your internet. Yeah, he fixes he your internet. He needs to go to Minute Maid Park because Minute Maid Park's internet can be absolutely garbage. Yeah, fix, fixes your internet. And sometimes he'll do a sweeping motion <laughs> if he's on the yeah. mound and you get a clean sweep. It's, it can be very subtle sometimes, but very cutting, which I enjoy. Gary, on a, this is your show, but I'm going to hijack it quickly. No, good. Uh, on a scale of 0 to 10, how much do you love the Houston Astros? With 10 being, I love them so much. Oh. Does your fan base, like, do you guys... Like we have the whole in-state thing, and back in 15 yeah. and 16 when we both were competitive, uh, the rivalry was a lot of fun. Uh, unfortunately, the Rangers have not necessarily competed uh, at all in that rivalry uh, the last few years, but like it's still the in-state thing, and then they had the cheating stuff. But like, yeah. is, there, is there vitriol when they come to town? Yes. Okay, good. Oh, it should, it should very be. much. I would say that's from the Mariners fan base. That's the most disliked team it should that be. Comes in. They should and, be the most disliked team in sports. And they still lustily boo. Uh, you mentioned the cheating scandal. Every guy that comes, Altuve, every yeah, guy Altuve, that comes up, Bregman. You, you always know when Altuve every is batting here. Yeah, Springer still, I mean, they'll, they'll give it to anyone that was on that roster. But, yeah, there is no love lost. And part of it, too, is honestly the Astros have really handled the Mariners the last few years, too. And people are really sick of that. Yeah. So that adds to it all. But, yeah. It's uh, so smug. I mean, like I, we're very open about it on our airways. Yeah. That we just we have no time for them. You know, Ian Kinsler's get it. So we're we're having this conversation on Saturday. The Rangers are inducting Ian Kinsler and John Blake into the Texas mm-hmm. Rangers Hall of Fame. Ian Kinsler very famously said when the Rangers traded him to Detroit that he wants the Rangers to go zero and one sixty two. That's right. Yeah. But like, do you think he's going to say that in his speech I, today? I would hope that he makes some <laughs> reference to that. Yeah, but like, I think there are a lot of people who like genuinely would not be upset if the Astros and their fans had to endure an zero and one sixty two season. I would. I would, Rangers fans and Astros fans do not see eye to eye because the DFW Metroplex uh-huh. and Houston have a rivalry. People from Dallas will tell you that Houston's the worst city in America. People from Houston will say that. Dallas and Fort Worth have absolutely nothing off. Uh-huh. So there's like, and this is rude. That's right? intense. Yeah. But like I, I would not be upset if they went 0 and 162. Oh, I agree. I wouldn't feel badly one bit. You know, and part of it, part of the frustration, I think from Mariner fans, I can talk about that is I think people were looking at, you know, Springer leaving. Right. And like, okay, the window's starting to close, oh, right? They're still good. It's come to I an end. It. And then, Tucker Alvarez is like the best hitter in baseball. And it's like, yeah, it's, it's not. And and what they're doing with the rotation, they're obviously great with, with pitching. It's been incredible. And so who who do you think is, I mean, is the answer to that? Like the Mariners are, you know, for your, 
you know, we, with Rangers broadcasters, love Mariners broadcasters. Uh, I usually am sitting on Aaron's lap right now. Right. And he's yeah. not here. That's so, right. He's not here. Um, I mean, I, I'm, I'm looking at the legendary Dave Sims, who is the only person who can get Mavericks broadcaster Chuck Cooperstein out to a ballpark <laughs> because Coop was here yesterday to see Dave. But I, and, and I do love Steve Sparks of the Astros. Yeah. But I don't even know why I went down this tangent. But you, I, I think it'd be great to see the Mariners make the playoffs. I guess a Rangers broadcaster, someone who has no real like rooting interest uh-huh. for the Mariners other than I, the people involved, fan base hasn't been to the playoffs in forever. And yeah. it'd be cool. So let's just assume, if I'm allowed to, I don't want you to jinx anything, I am going to assume the Mariners make the playoffs. Okay. Which American League team scares you the most? Is it the Astros? Oh, yeah. I think it's the Astros. Clearly in the American League. I like your take on this, too. Uh, clearly in the American League, there's a top two. It's the Astros and the Yankees. And Yankees have had some struggles as of late, obviously. And the Mariners won two series against the Yankees, one at their place. But to me, it's it's the Astros are the scariest team. Uh, for the Mariners, though, first things first, if you're looking at the playoffs, they'd have to win a series to get there. So right, that's absolutely. Kind of what, yeah. what I've been looking around to me, this is why the Mariners last night jumped into the first wild card spot, which is why it's so critical to me. Because the first one, you host three games. And I think about playing the Blue Jays, for example. To me, it is so massive to play them at home rather than to go to Toronto and play three games there. Which is why the Mariners aren't going to win the division. Houston has too big of a lead. But it's why getting the first wild card is everything to me because of that. So who who else like we I, I think we all do this right you're you're trying to figure out the path of least resistance because at the end of the day you win a world series no one there, you you know you make no apologies because you didn't have to play this team oh, or that sure. team right or yeah, if yeah. this guy gets hurt not that you're rooting for an injury but like you don't have to give the trophy back because but who's the team that maybe you could play as you just mentioned Toronto is there a team you're like we want these guys or is there another team that you because I remember when the Rangers were in the playoffs in 15 and 16, yeah. you know, that, I remember watching the, the Blue Jays win their wild card game thinking, don't, and they went to extra yeah. innings, and we did not want them to win. And they won, and it's like, oh, this is not going to go well, and we end up getting swept. But we, we had the best record in the American League, but still could look at the Blue Jays and say, this, don't like the way this is playing out. Yeah, that, Blue Jays are scary to me because of that lineup. I Playing them in a series because, I, and I know Bichette and Guerrero have not had the kind of years that maybe people expected or follow-up years to what they did last year. That being said, starting now, they could be incredible. And in a series, they'd be really hard to deal with. That lineup is really scary. I would rather not play the Blue Jays at all. Uh, and I think given the choice... Like, you got to go through the Yankees or Astros. Neither's a good option, but not playing the Astros, I think, would be yeah. would not be a bad thing. And, and the, the their thing, bullpen is awesome. I mean, that's the, that's the bullpen's thing. good, the rotation. I mean, and what, what gives the Mariners, I think, wh- turning this around and looking at it from another team perspective, why you would not want to play the Mariners, I think, in a playoff season is two things. One is Luis Castillo is a game changer mm-hmm. because in – as long as you can set up your rotation, depending on the situation, facing Castillo, Ray, Gilbert, that's a really good threesome that matches up with just about anyone. And especially as we talked about the bullpen, they can shorten games as well. So, what, what would is Kirby going to be shut down, or would they move him no. to the bullpen? Okay, so he's in. He's in the rotation. Okay, he's going to be monitored. Uh, 
they do not believe in a random innings. innings. Yeah, I like that. You know, yeah. so they monitor they monitor everything going on with the body. They watch for red flags. You know, is is his arm slot different? Is the ball coming out of his hand different? They're watching that kind of stuff closely. And if if there's a red flag along the lines, then they'll adjust. But they they just don't believe in. Which is true. I've heard other GMs and other organizations talk about this. The innings thing has just been something that teams have done because everyone has done it. But there's no there's no real science behind it. So they're watching him closely. But he's in the rotation, and he will be. The amount of young. I mean, I, I can't imagine. I think one of the things we do as fans when you put the fan hat on is we assume windows, right? You assume, oh, yeah. well, this team, like the Cubs, right? When the Cubs won the World Series. Yeah. I think a lot of people would have probably put decent money that that was not going to be not only their only World Series win. I think people would have said, oh, definitely going to get there at least again. Yeah. And look what happened, right? Uh, but like when I, when I look at the Mariners, and I've said this for a couple years now, because I was of the opinion the Astros were going to start to right. decline, and and I've been wrong on that. Mm-hmm. But I was I, I keep thinking about like you want to time things up. You're you're worried about the Mariners, uh, and I, again I know that nothing's guaranteed, but like. There's got to be a ton of excitement for not only this year, but like what the future holds. Oh yeah, uh, yeah. With with the young, I mean, with Julio and uh, where do people fall on Kelnick? Like, are, are people still patient, or are people starting to get a little anxious? Yeah, I mean, or both. I really like him to come up and succeed. Obviously, you know, I think the success of the team and the success of Julio has helped in that regard. Has helped with the patience. You know, if they were struggling, if you know, they're below 500 and he was struggling, I, I think the patience would run out more quickly. Uh, I think a lot of fans are looking at it in a very realistic scenario where, man, it is so hard for young offensive players right now to come up, which to me is what's so amazing about Julio, especially if you, you, he struggled in the first month. After that, he's been great. Nothing short of that, which I think is amazing for any young player. I think it's incredible. So yeah, I agree. Yeah, I th- I think there's still patience there, and, and it helps with everything else going on. You guys, I mean, I think the Mariners are fun to watch. I think it's always fun when there's young guys because they just always play the game with like a youthful exuberance and, yeah. and energy. And Julio, obviously, Julio's like the his, greatest. Yeah, his energy is outstanding. Uh, I mean, how do you not how do you not enjoy watching? If you don't like watching Julio play, other than maybe like the moment where he like puts the dagger in your team and twists in a right. given game. There's but that. Like, even, even like when he does, like when Jose Altuve has a big hit against us, I just, <laughs> I want to do things, right? <laughs> like when Julio hit a grand slam against us, like right before the all-star break, I'm like, and it was like a backbreaker. Yeah. And I'm like, oh man, we are going to lose four games, all four games of the series. <laughs> it's like, he's good for baseball though. He's great for baseball. That's the other thing is like, if you care about the sport, a guy like Julio is huge for the sport of baseball. He's he's clearly a great player. And we talked about five tools. He's got them all. And he's got the it. You know, that next Great level. eyes, too. Awesome that, eyes. That's right. He He's the guy that you don't want to take your eyes off of. He's the driveway guy. If you're listening in the car, he's batting. You're, you're sitting in the driveway. You're and making that decision, like, do I have enough time to run in and turn the TV on? Yeah. And not miss the bat, or do I have to? Yeah. yeah. Yeah, if you're at the ballpark, that's not the time you go get your popcorn. Yeah. Right? I mean, because you never know what he's going to do. And, and we saw it last night. It was a fly out to center field, right? Uh, in the at bat, he hit one 
over the foul pole, around the foul pole, into <laughs> yeah. the upper deck, and then the, the line drive to center. It's just everything's incredible. The stuff with Garcia, I think, is great. You know, they're smiling at each other, yeah. throwing each other, making catches. Like, the, you know, he just plays with so much joy. It's infectious, and it's so fun to watch. And you're right, the game, it's so great for the and game. That, and that's not for everyone, right? Like, it's not like the people who don't play with that outward excitement are bad people because right. it's not – but, like, we should celebrate the guys who are willing to do that Absolutely. or it's natural for them. Uh, yeah, Julio's fun. And, you know, Steve, it's it, it's been great talking to you. I really <laughs> – Thanks, Joe. Thanks for coming over. <laughs> so, okay, we did – I don't want to share why this – it's been four years running now. Like, yeah. we're, like, the first time we see each other each series, you like, we'll call name. each other random name. Yeah. Yeah. I can't uh, – that's the, – the the impetus of all of that, that's yeah, probably – that, that's for, that. that's for like – Yeah. That's – you got to be a premium subscriber. Yeah. So, you uh, got to – you got to – do you – they have that tip feature on Twitter. I'm not cool enough to have it. Maybe you are. But if you tip Gary – enough money then you can earn premium no. subscription you're just gonna have to wait for like a decade and yeah, then we'll fair. tell the story yeah then we, yeah we'll, we'll meet back here in 10 years who will oh, tell the story okay last question sure who is your and we're doing a great job of filling up time i don't know how yeah, much this, this is you're great. gonna use this is great but it's been like an hour which, which, is, which is your okay so like for me i do it's, gosh as much as i hate the ass i do love sparky i love steve sparky. sparky's the greatest love seeing and and, yeah. and their engineer matt bolts like oh, great the best. Dude, right yeah so i do enjoy that part of it and i love seeing you guys who who are like the teams around the league you're just like so pumped to see because like their broadcasters are just like you're gonna yak it up with them and you're probably not gonna prep because they're gonna have you laughing for two hours before the game well the texas rangers obviously i mean that was that was a given you mentioned Sparky. I think Sparky is the greatest. I think he is so fun to talk to for a couple of reasons. One is he's he's funny and he's got a lot of stories, but he is dialed in, which I really appreciate. Like he he comes to the ballpark and he knows your team. And yeah, he makes you feel bad about yeah, yeah. right. And he's like, wow. I mean, he's. I remember I had a conversation with him a couple of years ago, and he's he's talking about. Mariners minor leaguers, like double-A guys, which is like, wow. I mean, how well do you know yeah. other teams' systems? You know what I mean? It's, it's enough to learn our own. But uh, he's super fun to talk to. One of the guys I always love talking to is Tom Hamilton from Cleveland. Mm-hmm. Love Hammy. Yeah. I'm it's, so glad he's that like Arizona spring training. So, like, we're yes. definitely going to get, like, extra we time get a with couple, him. Yeah, because we don't, like you, we don't see Cleveland all that often. But he, he's the greatest. I yeah. love talking to him. And we're he and I are both big time Packers fans. Oh, and let me tell you something. You get him down like he he gets fired up, right? Like Dave's Dave knows. Like uh, Tom Tom needs his own like late night channel for his thoughts and his internal monologue. Uh, but like I just love that. Like so when I used to work when I was doing minor league baseball in Michigan, I'm surrounded by all these Tigers fans. Mm-hmm. It was when the Tigers were really good when they had Verlander and Cabrera and mm-hmm. Scherzer and. Cleveland was good. And so Tigers fans like didn't like they don't like Tom Hamilton because Tom loves Cleveland. And sure. like the way he his is broadcast Cleveland. yeah, his broadcast style. And I remember like I gotta I gotta check this Tom Hamilton guy. Like I'd heard the name. Uh-huh. I was so young and I, I wasn't one of these kids who like grew up studying every broadcast around the league when I was like ten years old. And so I remember like on the MLB app, 
You know, you can subscribe. MLB oh, app. Commercial. You know, plug, nice. Yeah. Uh, I'd listen to Cleveland whenever Cleveland's playing Detroit. I love Dan Dickerson, but I'd listen to the Cleveland. I want what, to. What's this Tom Hamilton? And I couldn't stop listening. Because he like, so it's like the energy and it's so natural. It's so him. Like him. Yeah. he is as loud when the mic is not on <laughs> as he is when the mic <laughs> is, right. is on. That's right. Uh, I yeah, that's a great one. Hammy's Hammy's great. That's so good. That's sure. a great way to end. Let's do it. Gary, this was fun. Thank you for the ten minutes that turned into an hour. I appreciate that. You got it.